series called Calling on God. This is a prayer series. And so for the next three weeks, we are going to look at prayer in different facets of it. Today we're going to talk about calling on God for help and what that looks like. And then next week, we're going to talk about calling on God for healing. And then finally, the third week, we're going to talk about calling on God for wisdom. Okay? And so this is what I know about prayer. Prayer takes time and investment and intentional effort. Okay? You are not going to get there overnight. It doesn't always feel natural. It doesn't always feel uh, obvious or easy. But it is worth the time. It is worth the effort. It is your lifeline. And Jesus himself prayed. The Old Testament is filled with prayers. The New Testament is filled with instructions on prayer. And so I think we need to recognize, and this is our hope for this series, the importance of prayer in our life and in our faith journey. Okay, so that is really the point. To help you in this, we've created a couple of bonus content type things. Okay, so the first one is, in addition to these messages, we have created uh, some bonus podcasts. They'll come out during the week, okay? And so for the next three weeks, there will be this sermon podcast that will come out and then also uh, these bonus podcasts. The first one we did with Pastor Colby Atkins at Elevate Church. That's on calling for God, calling on God for help. The second one we did with Pastor Alan Thorpe from Albion Assembly of God. And then the third one was with Pastor Al Detter on calling on God for wisdom. So those are all, they were just great conversations, really interesting and good and eye-opening. And so I would encourage you to tune into those. If you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, you should do that. So check that out. And then the second thing that we have created is what we're calling an open prayer room. This is going to be the next three Wednesdays from 6.30 to 8. This will happen in the music room. So in between services on a Sunday morning, there's a prayer hour that happens in the music room from 10 to 11. Uh, but then in addition to that, we're going to open it up Wednesday nights, 6.30 to 8. It's kind of come and go as you can. And if you just want to come be around other prayers, if you want to come and bring your requests and have someone else pray over them, if you want to come and just grow in prayer at all, that is the point of that. Pastor Don Fisher is going to lead that, so I would encourage you to check that out as well. So those are kind of some of the bonus things that we've created for this because prayer matters and prayer is our lifeline, okay? So to get started, I want to ask you a question. Have you learned yet in your life that it is not just what you say, but how you say it that matters in communication? Okay, some people have really learned that, like, like myself. Okay, I was in a conversation a couple weeks ago with someone who said, well, it really doesn't matter what you say if you say it wrong. And I thought, that'll preach, my man. You're right. That will preach. So I think we can all agree that this is true. I don't know if anyone here is bold enough to admit. I won't make you come up and tell stories or anything. That would just be embarrassing. But I'm sure you've had experiences at work or with your friends or in your marriage where you said the right thing, but you said it wrong, and there were consequences. Yes? No? Do I need to change this to a marriage sermon? Do we need to shift gears this morning? Okay, we'll stick with the plan. But anyways, this is what I have learned, and this should be the most encouraging foundation for us to build on over these next three weeks, what I'm about to say, okay? God never gets that ratio wrong. God never messes up what he says and how he says it. It's always just right. In fact, John 1.14 tells us that Jesus, the embodiment of God, was the perfect embodiment of grace 
and truth. That's really the ratio that we're talking about. Let me read this to you. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, this might surprise you. This might not surprise you. I don't know. Let's find out. But I have said many times to people, you are far too gracious. I'm just, I know. I, you're like, Quint, you're a pastor. I don't know. That's just how God made me, okay? But many people have said to me, Quint, you are far too truthful, okay? So I'm working on this all the time. You're probably working on this all the time. But God never gets that ratio wrong. And that should be the most encouraging foundation that we can build on this morning, okay? Now, to learn about this, I want to look at some various situations that King David found himself in uh, in his life that drove him to prayer. Okay, here's the thing about various situations. Various situations drive us to prayer for various reasons, yes? So sometimes there are hard, blunt facts that we get slapped in the face with that just change not just our day, but the trajectory of months of our life or years of our life even, okay? The loss of a loved one or a hard situation, whatever it might be. And that will drive us to our knees, right? Sometimes there are great victories that we want to celebrate, and that brings us to a point of prayer and of worship, whatever the case is. But this is what I know about prayer. Various situations drive us to prayer for various reasons, but regardless of the reason, prayer is our lifeline. Prayer is our lifeline. And regardless of whether you've been in this building for the millionth time today, or this is your second week because someone dragged you here for Easter and now you're going to try out this faith thing, which is awesome and we're so excited that you're here, even if that's where you are, prayer is your lifeline. Okay, and prayer and diving into prayer and leaning in, this is how we heal our union with the Father and we are restored. And it is worth our effort to look at this, okay? So, different methods, different motives, spur on our actions. King David is such a great example of this. There are 150 Psalms, okay? Psalms is really a book of prayer and worship. And King David wrote half of them, roughly, okay? So if King David, how many different scenarios, and we're going to look at a couple of them, drove his life to these points of prayer and these points of worship, and we're so fortunate that he documented them and that they're in the Bible for us to read and learn from, okay? King David might be one of the most regularly discussed Bible characters. I do not have a statistic available today to tell you how much he gets preached on, but I bet it's a lot, okay? David and Goliath might be, I don't know, it might be the most well-known Bible story in the Bible. If you watched uh, any college basketball over the last three weeks, you probably heard, it's a classic David and Goliath story. Oral Roberts almost hit the shot, and I so wish that they had. And UCLA is an 11 seed. Okay, I won't go on, but if you watched any of it at all, you probably heard that, okay? If you want to re read the real story, not just hear Dick Vitale's version, it's in 1 Samuel 17. But here's what we see in the story of David and Goliath. We see a young teenage or young 20 shepherd boy praying to his father, living in full communion with his father, operating out of a confidence that made no earthly sense, and an entire nation was blessed because of it. Yes? So his obedience, not his stature, not his strength, not his experience uh, in the military, but his obedience to God and his faith in God is what 
brought that victory, okay? This is a great example for us to consider as we get into this conversation on prayer. Another well-known story about David that is not quite as warm and fuzzy, okay? And I'll keep it, I'll, I'll just hit the highlights, but his whole mess with Bathsheba, okay? If you don't know that story, he saw a woman that wasn't his wife. He took egregious steps to make her his own. He killed her husband to cover the whole mess up. He was pretty indignant and pretty uh, self-righteous through the entire thing. And then when he was finally caught and called out by Nathan the prophet, he did come to a place of deep conviction and deep repentance, and that is documented in Psalm 51. You can read that cry to God, that prayer. But listen, that was not without a lot of collateral damage. That was not without a lot of pain and hurt and, and just all sorts of hard things because he wandered from his union with God. Okay, so same guy, deep union frees a nation, broken union, hurts countless people, right? Potentially sets that nation back, okay? And so these are just two quick and well-known examples that you've probably heard of that I want to point out because I think that they really show the extreme that one life can live in when it comes to communicating with God, right? I think it shows an absolute spiritual high in this amazing union that I have, and I think it shows a pretty dark low, okay? And that is why I think, I pray no one in this room ever experiences anything like that whole mess that I just described. But I think we all can agree, no level of wandering is a good level of wandering. Yes? Okay, so no level of wandering is a good level of wandering. And so what I want to look at today for the bulk of this discussion and this conversation is actually maybe a story you have never heard. It's from 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I know this is the Old Testament and life was crazy different and everything, but I think there are some very clear, very distinct parallels on worship and prayer and our lives in this story. So open your Bibles or follow along on the screen to 1 Samuel 30. And I'm just going to kind of highlight this story because you really need to read the whole chapter to, uh, to understand all of it. So that's your homework assignment on your time this week. Read 1 Samuel 30. But I'm going to give you the 50,000-foot view, and we're going to draw some things out of it, okay? So... At this point in time, David has been anointed to be the next king of Israel, but Saul is still sitting on the throne, okay? So what God said will happen has not yet come to pass, but he's having faith, he's trusting, he's waiting on God to do it. Actually, in the, a couple chapters before 1 Samuel 30, he had two different opportunities to kill Saul, to take matters into his own hands, and he didn't. And he trusted God, and he trusted God's timing. And so we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 30, and here's what it says. Three days later, David and his men arrived back in Ziklag. Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They tore it to pieces and burned it down, capturing all the women. By the time David and his men entered the village, it had been burned to the ground, and everyone had been taken prisoner. Not a good day, okay? Let's keep reading. David and his men burst out in loud wails, weeping, and things then turned even worse when David's own men talked of stoning him. David strengthened himself with trust in his God. He ordered the priest, bring me the ephod so I can consult with God. And he brought it to David. And then David prayed to God, shall I go after these raiders? Can I catch them? And God answered, yes, go after them. You will catch them. Okay, so everyone has turned on him. 
Everyone is ready to kill him, and he strengthens himself. Let me say it this way. A great and awful tragedy occurred. Emotions were unspeakably high. Those closest to him began to turn on him, and yet he prayed to God, and he strengthened himself in his God. My question for you today is when we are facing trials, tribulations, hardships, things that don't make sense, things that are coming against us. We talked about last week in the Easter message when people turn on us or betray us, okay? Do you try to take matters into your own hands, try to fix it yourself, or do you pray and strengthen yourself in God? And I'm not here to say anything other than we should know, we can know the truth, that we can go to God and he is the perfect balance. He always gets the ratio right of grace and truth. Whatever we are going through, he will minister to it in the exact right way. He always gets it right, okay? So um, I think that when you read through the Psalms, you see examples of David's life, all these different situations that drove him to prayer Okay, and he documented them for us, like I said earlier. But in this story, let's pick this back up in 1 Samuel 30. God says, yes, you will catch them. Go. So after his prayer time, he gathers 600 men and they take off. And let's pick up the story there. He takes off with his 600 men. They make it to the brook Besor. This must not mean brook like when I say brook or you say brook like in English. It must mean something different in Hebrew because when I think of a brook, I think of taking my kids and I can't get them out right? Because it's just a fun little place to play. This, though, where we read this story, 200 men say, I'm too tired. I can't go on. I can't cross this. So it must have been much more of an impasse than what we're used to, right? But what does David do? He says, okay, you wait here. And he takes the 400 who were willing to go, and they, they chart on in the mission. They successfully complete it. They get everyone back, all the women and children. No one is injured, and there's a complete and total miracle, right? And they celebrate. All right, and then this is where, in my opinion, it hits pay dirt, as I like to say. They head back to the Brook Besor. They have all the women and children with them. And who is waiting for them there? The 200 who were just too tired to go along. I just can't. I just can't. Well, when David returns, he proclaims, success, we did it. And the, the 200 are obviously excited to see their women and their children and everything, and they're ready to celebrate. And the 400 who fought say, whoa, 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 whoa. We didn't do anything. We, we did. You stayed here because you were too tired. This reminds me of when my wife and I have five kids when we had a baby. And she says, yeah, we, you, I had the, not me, her, she, she had five babies, right? So anyways, that is a total side note. That was not in my notes. But that is what this feels like in this moment. And then David steps up. And this is what he says. He hears all the grumbling, the shouting, the commotion. And he says, families don't do this sort of thing. Oh no, my brothers, you cannot act this way with what God gave us. So he's calling out where the actual success from, comes from, okay? God kept us safe. The share of the one who stayed back is the, share, is the same as the share of the one who fought. And this became their precedent. Now, Dave, I don't know, but there's a pretty good chance David is thinking, 
wait a minute, all 600 of you clowns wanted to stone me before we even left for this mission, okay? So let's just it, it, time out here. We're not just going to claim victory. He knows where the actual source of this victory is. It ain't him. It ain't those 400 or 200. It's all God, right? And so I want to challenge each and every one of us today to consider how our cries to God impact those around us in a positive way, all right? I read this and I see a story that exemplifies grace. The definition of grace, I've preached this before, is, not, is getting what you do not deserve, okay? These, whether it's the 200, the 400, or David himself, they did not deserve this victory, but God's immense grace gave it to them, okay? And in this moment, he is recognizing that, okay? They were ready to stone him, but he centered himself on his God and got his answer from the source. At this moment, I believe David knew, I think David was a vessel and a conduit and just someone who was really reminding everyone as, you know, as the leader that he was, God is the source of this victory. God is the source, and we're going to live that way. Now, how does that translate into our life today? I would ask you, how often do you see blessings in your life from your worship, from your prayer, from how much you're leaning in? And are you comfortable with or even excited about it flowing out of you, into those around you, into the church, family around you? I will tell you, I'm so grateful this is just me, Quint, talking. I'm so grateful for the faithfulness of people in this church and the blessings of God that have poured out of them and have blessed my family and have blessed just this whole room. And your worship that you bring on a Sunday morning blesses the rest of us in the room. And it, it is a community of believers. That is really what we're talking about here. And so I believe we need to live in such a way that the overflow of our lives benefits others and we're excited about it and we're celebrating it okay we do not want to resent others who live inside of our blessings okay and i would suggest that in this moment like i already pointed out david had 600 men who were living in the overflow of his obedience before that he had an entire army and nation living in the overflow of his union with god in the story of david and goliath right but then we also see in the Bathsheba story the example that Jesus or that, that David uh, thought he was the owner of his blessings. He thought he was the owner of his uh, everything around him. And so he, he didn't need God anymore, he thought. And he took all these crazy steps and did all these crazy things. So we need to understand and live in such a way that we are excited for the overflow of our blessing and how it affects those around us, okay? When we get to the place where we are crying out to God for help and for praise and for worship, for who he is, what we can't do is think that we are the owners of the results. We are not the owners of the results. We need to remember that we are recipients of immense grace and that grace is so immense it spills out all around us into our family, who may or may not be walking obediently into our friends, into our small group, into our church family, okay? That is what we need to do. We need to realize that our role as worshipers 
and as prayers, which is what this series is, is to operate in union with God, to continuously heal that union. That's what we do when we take a moment to take communion. It is to realign ourselves and to commune with God in spirit and remind ourselves of everything that Christ has done. And this is the power of a worship-filled life. And this is the power of a prayer-filled life. And when we call on God for help, the more we do this, we will be confident in his answers. We will be confident in the fo that foundation of grace and truth just as we need it, just as he has planned for us, okay? And we will be able to operate from this place of supernatural confidence that we cannot explain, but it's what happens when we invest in that prayer life. Now, here's what I would like to do to wrap up today. This is not the time to leave early, to get your kids, open those doors, nothing, okay? We're going to uh, just put a song on that I think does such a great job reminding us of what the point is, of what our role in all this is. And it's called Nothing Else by Cody Carnes, and it really brings to remembrance we just need to continue to fall back in love with our first love. We need to continue to remember that is the point of union with God and calling out to God and crying out to him, okay? So I just have a couple of questions to drive your time of reflection. There are uh, prayer cards in front of you. You can use the notes app on your phone. You can just spend a couple minutes alone with Jesus, whatever you need in this moment. But the questions are this. One, what is it that drives you to pray? We talked about how different things drive us to pray for different reasons, and that's fine. But maybe ask God to show you, do I only come to you when things are hard and I got the rest on lock, I'm good? Do I only come to you when things are good and I try to do the hard stuff in life all by myself? And let him address that in you and change that in you because he will. He's faithful to do that. And then the second question, the second thing I want you to reflect on is, do you see yourself as the type of person who kind of does own or hoard the results of your prayer life. And no shame in this, but when we recognize it, we can hand it back over to God, repent of it, be forgiven for it, and we can start to live more intentionally with that overflow and being excited about, being excited about the overflow of our obedience positively affecting those around us. So let's just spend just a couple minutes doing that, and then I'll come up to pray to close. But let's see what God has for us in these next couple minutes. I just sang another song. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda. I'm sorry. When I forgot you're enough, take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to see. I'm caught up in this holy moment I never want to leave Oh, I'm not here for blessings Jesus, you don't hold 
from today's service, today's worship, today's message, Lord. Our reminder is that we just want you. We don't even want what you will do for us, which you are so gracious and you do so, so much, but we just want you for who you are and for what you've already done. And so we praise you for that in this place. And Lord, help us to be a people, a church, believers who draw closer to you and see that overflow in our lives in those around us, in our family, in our church, in our small group, whatever the case is, Lord, and be excited about it and celebrate it and praise it and praise you for what you do. You're so good, Lord, and we just want you in this place this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Please come these next couple weeks. It's going to be a great rest of the series, and uh, we look forward to joining you these next two weeks.